This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Today our essential question is how are taxes a social justice issue and what are smart people doing about it? Our guest today is Allison Chung, guest from last channel two, the last Channel 253 Adult Civics Happy Hour. She is a communications hub manager at Fuse Washington, a progressive political organization. Allison is a graduate of the University of Washington, where she worked on education accessibility and yelled a lot about racist housing covenants. <laughs> she is currently working on tax reform. Welcome. Hi. We're so excited to have you. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for coming. If Happy any of our lesson- listeners were at the last Adult Civics Happy Hour, you know she brought the truth, kept it 100, <laughs> as the kids say. <laughs> Um, and really didn't get the shame bell rang on you, but I'm looking forward to today's ringing uh, on other people. Okay, I can yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. so feel free <laughs> to grab definitely. that at yeah. any point that Most you feel definitely. like. Uh, can you just start a little bit by describing a little bit about yourself and kind of telling us who you are and kind of what you bring? Yeah, um, I'm Allison. I uh, grew up mostly in the Pacific Northwest, also half-time in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I'm 24. I went to UW. I am a queer second generation immigrant, uh, really into racial justice and riding my bike and petting people's dogs. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's That's perfect. Uh, in the beginning awesome. of, before we were, as we were planning for our show today, we were looking at your bio, and originally there was a word marginalized mm-hmm. that was used mm-hmm. in it, and we took that out. So can you talk a little bit about your kind of relationship yeah. with that word? And to get there, yeah, for that? sure. I wrote that bio two years ago when I was still very new to, like, writing. It was my, you know, Fuse is my first big professional job. If somebody yeah. asked me to write a bio, I was like, holy oh, This is exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when I was at UW, I did a lot of work with an organization called Dream Project, which mm-hmm. is run by UW students. Mm-hmm. Um, we are trained basically as mentors for um, kids at a bunch of schools, mostly in South Seattle, but I think mm-hmm. the cutoff is like 75% of the population is free or reduced lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, which like means, our school. Yeah. Yeah, which means we're working with a lot of black and brown kids kids and kids who've been um, very much underserved. Mm -hmm. Um, And that marginalized was a word that was thrown around a lot Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, And so that's just kind of like what's what's stuck in my brain. Uh, The past couple years working at the communications hub, um, most of my work is around messaging and language Mm -hmm. and storytelling. Um, So I've been really thinking, right, about the words that we use to describe people who uh, our institutions yeah. have really um, systematically um, and systemically underserved. Mm. Um, I really dislike how marginalized is used as this blanket term when mm. we actually mean black and brown frequently. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, in the same way that people often say people of color when they actually mean like black people. And yeah. it's like, oh, no, just say what you mean. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if we actually say what we mean and watch how we use language, we can be a lot more precise yep. and we can create better policies and have better conversations um, and get people more comfortable with talking about yeah. the problems that we actually have yeah, instead of just being like, "Ooh, everything's marginalized. It's so rough. What do we do? And yeah. you feel yeah. very defeated. Um, hmm. Yeah. 
you know, because marginalized can mean so many different yeah, communities yeah. that aren't necessarily just like people of color, people of color who are most targeted. It could mm-hmm. mean, you know, a disabled white woman. It could mm-hmm. mean um, someone with HIV. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I've been trying to be very careful about, like, where I do use that term because mm-hmm. it is it is that um, – what's it called? Not poverty mindset, but um, – Like deficit. deficit. Language, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Language of deficit yeah. where, you that's know, good. if that's the only term that you're using yeah. to describe a certain yeah. community of people, it's like mm-hmm. you are robbing those folks of um, of this aspirational vision of, like, what, what could life be if these systems hadn't been put in place, like, on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and defining them by by their marginalization. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to get away from it. Yeah, cool. I really like the explanations. So you you did some work at UW. Um, it sounds like some pretty incredible social justice work at UW. Are you? How did you get to Fuse Washington? Did you find them? Did they find you? Oh gosh. <laughs> what was your? How'd you get there? Uh, well, okay. So I was I was an English major and a comparative religion minor. Okay, I, that makes sense because I was like her passion for words just reminds me of. Like, <laughs> oh God, no! I <laughs> sound like an English oh. major. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Listen, like if you like kids' books, I wrote my <laughs> honors thesis on his dark materials, what? like the Golden Compass yes. series. That's oh, awesome. And so, like, yeah, in in my fantasy world, I'm just like you know reading kids' books and like writing literature and, yeah. and yeah. reading literature and like writing stuff. It, oh which goodness, is you know telling stories is inherently like a social justice yes. activity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I. I can get really uh, like up there wooey with some of the philosophy shit I like, um, <laughs> <laughs> which which is a different path than yeah. mm-hmm. I ended up going down. Um, so I had initially yeah. kind of been on this like teaching track. I really wanted to get my PhD and go into um, teaching literature. Um, and I had done all the things and like pushed myself really mm-hmm. hard. Um, but then at the same time, been really involved with Dream Project, mm-hmm. um, which spoke to my own identity mm-hmm. and the identity of like a lot of uh, my friends, in the community that I shared um, much more so than this like very academic ivory tower mm-hmm. lit-, lit theory yeah. world that I was that I, I was inundated like in class. Mm-hmm. Um and I started, you know, feeling more of a sense of community doing doing stuff with Dream Project and especially like getting out of those classrooms and into other classrooms mm-hmm. and being like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I can't just spend my life, you know, only thinking about yeah. books. Um, yeah. Uh, so when I graduated, um, I by that time had not become disillusioned, but just like very unsure of like, you know, do I do I want to study literature? Mm-hmm. Um, I will always be tokenized in that mm-hmm. world. It's very white. Um, and so I was like, okay, so maybe what I'm really into is education policy and I want to take a little bit mm-hmm. of time off, um, probably work at, you know, a nonprofit, mm-hmm. get a sense of, you know, the, the sort of policy world that goes on behind schools and behind like direct mm-hmm. service. Um and I, I was just looking for like a paper pusher job. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't even like really. I was like, it's gonna be you know two three years, save up some money, apply, yeah, like take the GRE, whatever. An interim, yeah, okay. Uh, and then I found this job with Fuse, um, and it married all of the things that I loved, like my passion for writing and language and like deep critical thought, and then also like actually putting those ideas into action Mm -hmm. um, and getting out and working with um, communities that, you know, for the most part, the progressive kind of like grass tops, more establishment political organization doesn't speak to and doesn't really take the time to work with unless they're just doing like lip service to equity. Um, And so now what I do at Fuse, um, my team, the communications hub, our mandate is essentially to help 
progressives um, tell a better story and to mm. increase communications capacity, um, which means for the most part, we are doing trainings in community with local leaders and mm. activists, um, up and coming candidates. We try to work with young people, people of color, um, men of color, women. Um, yeah. And then uh, making sure that all those communication skills aren't just siloed with this like consultant yeah. class yeah. that mm. tends to be, you know, wealthier, whiter, good, yeah. doesn't really know how to um, do like deep power building mm. in um, communities of color typically. Is your team – you do a teamwork. It's like team-oriented, Yeah, right? yeah, Is yeah. your team um, reflective of, like, the community in Seattle? Is it, like, a mix of people of color and white people? Is Like, what does that look like yeah. in terms oh of the work? I love my team. I am so obsessed and in love with my team. It's <laughs> oh, it's just like a honeymoon phase that doesn't end. It's so great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's me. Uh, we all have very different backgrounds, which, cool. you know, obviously is, is an asset, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, our – the hub director is a – guy named Duji Tahat. He's incredible. Um, he actually has his own podcast. Shout out oh, to the okay. hey. Poet cool. Salon. Hey. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he's also um, an immigrant. He's uh, Jordanian and Filipino. Grew up in Yakima, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a poet, has done a ton of communication stuff, worked across a ton of different campaigns. He's got like three young kids. Um, so he's got his whole own thing going. Um, I'm over here second-generation immigrant, mm. queer. I've lived, you know, in the U.S. I've lived in Hong mm. Kong half-time. Um, I have, you know, my own history that got me involved in this work, which is, you know, I, I try to think a lot about, like, identity and mental illness yeah. and, like, mm-hmm. trauma, and, and I sort of bring that to the work being this, like, messy young person on the team. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then uh, Rainy, who is our... Um, Oh, senior strategist. She, I, the the title is somewhat new, so I'm still getting my arms around (laughs) it. Um, She works with legislators Mm. and uh, basically connects them with um, all of the messaging research that we've done um, sort of on our side that will help, you know, hopefully help the progressive caucus like tell a much Mm -hmm. um, clearer, Mm -hmm. better story um, that will help us be more united in advancing Mm -hmm. the policies that we want to see. and uh, Rainey is incredible. She was um, uh, she was part of KUW for years. Oh, okay, yeah. mm-hmm. um, was a presenter, so a lot of people know her voice. Yeah, which is awesome. They'll oh, like hear cool. her voice and be like, "Wait, yeah, like, wait, a <laughs> wait this is so familiar." Um, and then she was the comms director for the Low Income Housing Alliance. So she's oh, cool. done a lot of work yeah, with homelessness awesome. and housing instability. Um, and now she, here she is at the hub, just like kicking ass, taking names. Um, I love it. She's my hero. Uh, <laughs> and then finally, our visual designer is this guy named Gavin McPherson. He um, he was in the Navy mm-hmm. as a submariner in um, Bremerton. Uh, visual artist, um, left the Navy, uh, started a small family. They live out in Bremerton on this tiny little urban farm. He's got an adorable, um, I think, three-year-old son. Uh, and yeah, just kind of grew up like working class mm. in Colorado, I think. So, like, we've got, yeah. as you can tell, like, yeah. it's so very eclectic. all yeah. over oh the place. Gosh, awesome. It's like the dream team. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's they're just such a dream to yeah. work with. What's awesome. one of the policies, because you mentioned um, policy work that you're doing, like, mm-hmm. what's one of the policies that you're working on right now? What's a project your team is doing? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I spend most of my time working with a campaign called All In For Washington. Mm-hmm. I'm the communications mm-hmm. lead for that. 
Um, All In is a statewide campaign to clean up our upside down tax code that's Mm -hmm. focused on building power with low income communities of color. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have the most upside down regressive tax code in the entire country that asks low income and middle class people to pay up to, I think, seven times more than the wealthiest Mm -hmm. um, in state and local taxes. Uh, yeah, and that's a major problem mm-hmm. because it means our state doesn't actually have, you know, despite being one of the wealthiest states in the entire yeah. country, yeah. Uh, it means we don't have the revenue to mm-hmm. fund the basic things that we mm-hmm. need to get by, let alone thrive, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, we're also a state that has passed, you know, minimum wage right. and safe and sick leave and marriage mm-hmm. equality and like all of these very um, bold forward thinking policies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, why are we stuck in the 1930s yep. with our tax code. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um, so with All In, the point is specifically to work with communities that really have been the most impacted by our tax code. And that's mm. um, here in Washington for the most part, black folks, um, Latinx folks, uh, Southeast Asians, Pacific Islanders, um, and then indigenous folks, mm. right? Um, People who are disproportionately in, like, the poorest two-fifths of our state um, of income distribution. Um, And that is no mistake. Um, Our tax code is deeply racist. Mm. Uh, It um, really gives a lot of power to people who already hold wealth, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we don't have an income tax. We don't tax capital gains. Um, there's all these loopholes for very wealthy people and big corporations mm-hmm. that essentially means um, that those at the very top like don't have mm-hmm. to pay anything mm-hmm. in taxes on income, on wealth, um, which we know is <sighs> built on the mostly on the yeah. on the backs yeah. of black and brown folks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. Uh, if we actually want to pass tax reform in Washington in a way that is, you know, truly transformative, you know, that that doesn't mean just like, you know, maybe passing an income tax or maybe, you know, leveling um, our tax or balancing our tax code. So mm-hmm. it's not so much on one end, but it means actually, you know, targeting wealth in a way that we haven't mm-hmm. before and yeah. making sure that new revenue goes into communities that really have been left behind and is is funding the type of projects that will really lift communities from the bottom up yeah. and let their voices be like at the yeah. center of the policy. That's good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the work that we do with All In For Washington. It is a very long term campaign. Um, you know, I think it's pretty clear there's not one simple fix. It's not like we pass a capital gains tax and everything is fine. Right. Or yeah. we fund yeah. the working families tax credit, which I can talk about, and everything's fine. Yeah. Um, it's really going to be like a very long-term journey to kind of change how Washingtonians think about our tax system, mm-hmm. um, how we think about what our taxes pay for and who they benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, You I look th- like your next question. Well, I was, I was thinking about how I explain – our tax structure in simple terms to high schoolers because mm-hmm. I teach high school social studies and the students inevitably it'll be you know usually around November will say like can we talk about taxes because yeah. they're just, <laughs> they love talking about things that have to do with money uh-huh. and so um, and I, I want to just verify if this is accurate because I feel like you know more about it than I do so when I talk to kids about our tax structure being regressive the the best example I can think of to, t- to use is sales tax so mm-hmm. that people who are purchasing items like no matter what their income is are paying the same amount of money in sales tax yes. which means that poor people are paying a greater proportion of their income in sales tax than the wealthy so is that like accurate am i doing it right yeah okay no, absolutely <laughs> what else should i tell my students like what else should they know if <laughs> if i have to put it in simple terms for 
like um, what I we call like kid friendly language or like yeah. teen friendly language. Sure. Like how do I how do I tell them? And like it might be helpful for folks in yeah. who are listening maybe who aren't as familiar yeah. with tax tax policy or tax. For sure. I mean, I think. Sales tax is a great place to start hmm. because when people think about ta- taxes, like that's the first tax yeah. they think of. They yeah. pay it all the time. Yeah. You know, almost every single time you buy something in a store unless you're, I don't know, buying groceries. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the one good thing about our tax code is yeah. we don't tax groceries. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a really good place to start because it at least mm. paints the picture of like who's paying what in proportion to their income. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the millionaire on Mercer Island is going to be paying as much sales tax as the single working parent in Renton. Mm-hmm. Right. But okay. that single working parent yeah. has so much less right. to pay that sales tax mm-hmm. with. Um and then it gets a little wonkier from here. Uh, the real estate excise tax, basically the tax you pay when you sell mm. a piece of real estate, um, could be a lot more progressive than it is currently. Mm. Legislature just in this legislative session actually just passed um, a progressive update to the real estate excise tax, which is good. means that yeah. we'll be taxing different property different very very uh high dollar properties at at higher rates than Mm. like lower dollar properties um so that's good that's a little confusing to talk about i think where i would go to next can i pause for a second because we weren't beforehand um they were taxed at the same rate which is that's like you know, you're selling like a three million dollar mansion or like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar house i'm just listening to what you're saying and i'm like what like, that's wild <laughs> oh, yeah. Why would, oh, okay you can't right. see hope's face right now but her I'm mind is like, blown out yeah, of the front of her yeah. face right now like taking notes as you're talking and then i'm like wait a second no, did she like, just say that this <laughs> yes. is the first time yeah so just now in the legislature we finally sort yes. of changed it yes okay and so yes. potentially it's i think gonna there have are a huge like three impact. or four different um levels okay but what? again, I am. I am. Is not that typical in other states? Um, I know your focus is mostly Washington, but my I. So again, I don't. I don't know. Mm. I'm not a real estate yeah, excise yeah. tax expert. Come on, now. Oh, really? Don't you know, every, don't you know everything? <laughs> I mean, about come all on. Taxes? That's why I bring you on the show. All the time. Just Didn't you get your PhD uh, in real estate <laughs> excise taxes? I'll Google it later. It's fine. Actually. <laughs> what I can say is there. You know, there are states that are certainly that have much more progressive tax codes than we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are literally 50th in the nation. Yeah, so like when, 50. yeah, we're exactly. When oh. like Kansas. Doesn't have a good ring to it. We're like Alabama are yeah. doing better oh. on their tax codes oh. than oh, we Shame are. on us, especially Alabama. Shame. I think. Hey, yeah. Or shame. And also Alabama. <laughs> a little bit more. Yes. Even your abortion laws. Get yeah. out here. Yeah. Uh, we can be. I mean, I would be pretty certain that, yes, other people are doing (laughs) or have a better real estate excise tax than we do. Um, But where I would go next when talking to young people or or folks who are really new to um, thinking about our tax system is um, focusing on the giant tax breaks and Mm. loopholes Mm. that the very, very wealthy and powerful special interests Mm -hmm. have managed to ram into our tax code over Mm -hmm. time. We have... I think the number is almost 700. It's like 690 something different tax breaks and loopholes, yeah. many of which um, have little to no regulation, no sunset date. Um, I think the best example is like the giant Boeing tax break. It's literally the biggest tax break in the history of this entire country. <laughs> uh, there were no stipulations about the number of people that Boeing would actually hire here in Washington. So since they've received that tax break, they've laid off 
15,000 people. My dad worked for Boeing and was laid off. Mm, Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and see, it's real. Yeah, it affects Uh, real people. I'm one of the people who was affected by that. Right, and so, like, we've got this, you know, absolutely absurd corporate welfare culture um, where we're letting these giant corporations get away with whatever they want and kind of, like, kowtowing to their wishes and letting them, you know, dump a a bunch of money into our elections and just, like— do whatever they want with our tax code, um, and you know they're not they're not paying any taxes. They're no. not really paying any tax on their profits. Um, Jeff Bezos, richest person in the world, pays you know virtually nothing mm-hmm. here in Washington. Um, yeah. So. Although his wife did, I guess, just donated like half of her like money. Yeah, you know that's really sweet of her, which was it? still like fifteen. 15- <laughs> billion dollars or something absurd like that like how how generous I was just trying to think of a counter like a conservative counter like well those people have worked really hard for their money and you can't even say that though because it makes you feel sick wage workers have worked very hard for I Jeff Bezos' money yeah. thank you no yes. kidding seriously is, I saw this tweet yeah. recently that was like um, so you love billionaire pays an entire graduating classes, student loans. You're mm. gonna, oh, if you, if you liked that, you're gonna love tax the rich so we can give <laughs> free college to everyone. Yeah. Right. So this idea of like, you know, very wealthy people will just mm-hmm. be charitable and put yeah. their money toward good things. It's like, but they fight the minimum wage yeah, like, raises. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. always going to be on yeah. their terms. Hmm. Yeah. is the problem That's because true. they don't want to say, I'm not allowed to say the redistribution word but as I'm here today as Allison Chung and not <laughs> yeah, as yeah, exactly. my organization I will say redistribution <laughs> <laughs> they're so terrified of the idea of redistribution because you know they have managed to mm. take the vast majority of wealth in this country and concentrate it at yeah. the very top among yeah. you know only a few thousand families yeah. Where the rest of the country, you know, kids aren't able to pay for their school lunches and, you know, people have to move farther and farther and farther from job centers Mm -hmm. and we have a completely broken healthcare system. Um, And, you know, the the list goes on and on and Mm -hmm. on. We're the richest country Mm -hmm. in the entire world. Like, mm. we should be able to fix this. It it should not be that hard. And mm. it's like countries that do have better wealth distribution are mm. – it's not like they don't have millionaires and billionaires. No. They still mm. have millionaires yes. and billionaires. But they're like so socialist and <laughs> we just so can't. Socialist. <laughs> we just can't. They hate American <laughs> values. This is the way freedom. <laughs> oh, man. I love, I love how you put that in such simple terms. It's oh, yeah. like it, – to me it's like I think if more people understood like the basic mechanics of like how it all works – like more just like regular folks just on the street they would be really really angry mm-hmm. and they just like yeah so as a teacher I'm like always looking for ways to exp- how do I explain this yeah. in a way that'll make people understand well yeah. from I mean from a messaging standpoint and also honestly from an equity standpoint mm-hmm. um, I don't think that the best way to talk to people is be like you need to care about right. taxes <laughs> and tax code that right, is a, like, I, I will verify that, that also does not work with teenagers <laughs> yeah. you need you, you tell them they need to do anything and they're like no I don't <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not a good entry point. Um, no, it's not. I, I do think it's it's you know knowledge about our tax system 
is very closely held and mm. basically how to play our tax system mm. is very closely held by people who have mm. a lot of class privilege. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mentioned my white partner before we started chatting and, you know, <laughs> I love him to death. He's great. We've been together forever. Um, he also grew up with a ton of class privilege mm. and yeah. his dad and his parents were were able to teach him a lot about, you know, how do you protect your wealth? How do you increase mm-hmm. your wealth over time? How do you save for the future and invest, you know, wisely? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I'm not going to inherit yeah. anything. Yeah. I, you know, I was fairly comfortable when I was younger, but, like, really my family struggled um, in throughout my middle school and high school years and into college. Um And I had to figure this out all for myself Mm -hmm. about, like, what should I be saving? What should I do with my savings if I have savings to begin with? Mm -hmm. Um, How do you even develop savings? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And – so, you know, it's it's really not the place to be like, you need to learn about our tax code. You need to care about taxes. Like, mm-hmm. I truly believe we need to care about taxes because we need to care about mm. racial and social justice yeah. and economic justice. Yeah. Um, yeah. The real way to talk to people is to to ask them about their lives and the things that affect them the most. Like, is it that, you know, your parent is, um, you know— has a very low-paying job with poor benefits and Mm -hmm. they get sick and they can't take time off to Mm -hmm. take care of themselves and therefore the family is going to suffer, like, that means we need to be investing more in affordable health care and strengthening labor rates so people can actually bargain for the health care that they need that is affordable (laughs) and going to meet their family's needs. Um, You need to talk to them about, like, the real Mm -hmm. issues that are affecting their lives and then you know, my job is to connect the dots back to our tax system mm-hmm. um, to come in and just be like, well, you don't care enough about taxes. Mm-hmm. Like that is not that is not the way to go yeah. about it. And for the most part, like if you are talking to, you know, a family like a mixed status family that's being yeah. like ripped apart by like ICE and deportations, yeah. like we saying give us your time yeah. and give us your yeah. emotions about mm-hmm. taxes is yeah. bs yeah it's totally yeah, yeah. it's yeah. cruel yeah yeah, yeah exactly but when we yeah. can go out and like build power and do this deep ed- education around like economic justice mm-hmm. right and i'm framing that specifically as a justice issue mm-hmm. um that is based in like the exploitation of black mm-hmm. and brown bodies mm-hmm. um in many centuries of you know genocide and slavery yeah. and you know yeah. stolen land yeah. etc then it's like oh and this tax system is an artifact it is the result of that history um so when you can start to connect it back to those things it's Mm -hmm. like this is just one part of like a hopefully holistic solution Mm -hmm. um if we'll ever get there to the many deep injustices that you know we have to deal with and we have to live around yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. you kind of hit on some of the things that could help like address this injustice Mm -hmm. system um, are there any other things you want to kind of speak to that you think would help, like, bring more economic justice? Did you say injustice system? I, <laughs> I love that. I might have. No, I like it. I like Inju- you should use it. I don't know. Maybe. It's kind of like I justice did. system, but the opposite. But the yeah. opposite. Because yeah. you mentioned, like, um, the excise tax. You talked a little bit oh, about yeah. the tax breaks and redistribution sure. of wealth. Are there other things that you think um, we should be addressing that would help? Definitely. Um, Bring some balance back. Yeah, 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 for sure. So a lot of people will kind of – or at least the the policy wonks that I work with um, and then a lot of the advocates – you know, who are currently working in politics, we'll, we'll talk a lot about closing tax breaks, mm-hmm. which is great. It's a great place to start, mm-hmm. sure. Um, Washington does need more revenue. She's like, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to be certain that that new revenue doesn't just 
go wherever. We right. need to be targeted yeah, yeah. and making sure it gets invested back mm-hmm. into the communities and the people who were basically robbed and exploited to yep. build that wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we got really, really close with this legislative session was something called the Working Families Tax mm-hmm. Credit which is Washington's version of the federal earned income tax credit. Mm -hmm. If you know anything about the earned income tax credit, it's basically um, if you're a working family below a certain income threshold, you can apply for and receive this tax credit. You just get Mm -hmm. some cash back. Um, You're able to spend it however you need, which is my favorite part of the policy is it's just that dignity of being like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's not going to come earmarked for health. It's not going to come earmarked for, I don't know, housing, whatever. It's like, you're going to spend it on your most urgent needs if that's putting it away for an emergency, if that's spending it on, like, new school clothes, if that's spending it on, like, gas for your car, whatever. Um, And it gives that dignity back to working people who have had so much, like, stripped away just Mm -hmm. in the different, like, uh, regulations and stipulations and, and, you know, reduction of, like, labor rights, et cetera. Um, So Washington passed the Working Families Tax Credit in 2008. Uh, But it was a recession. The recession had just hit. And we didn't have the revenue um, to actually fund it. Mm. So it has been unfunded on the books since then Mm. for more than 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, folks have tried to um, get it funded a few different times. Uh, This year, you know, thanks in large part to a lot of really fantastic organizers um, and, yeah, some great community leaders, uh, we were able to build a really powerful coalition behind it. Um, I think the message is a little more relevant than it has mm. been because people really are um, paying a little bit more attention to the the deep inequality that we see, especially with the current administration mm. um, and how these rich folks are just out here, you know, doing whatever they want mm. to our tax system. It's um, like the Wild West. <laughs> yeah. So what the Working True. Families Tax Credit would be is like a match of the federal earned income mm. tax credit. Um, we were trying to um, – correct it to not just be for working families, but to um, for workers without children, Mm. for um, immigrant families and I-10 filers, um, for uh, low-income college students and for full-time home caregivers who are doing real work, right, but Mm. it's not recognized, um, for them to also um, be eligible for that Mm. tax credit. The average tax credit would have been like $350, $350, roughly, yeah. which is pretty significant yeah. um, per year. Unfortunately, not per month. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and it, it it would be a fantastic first step to balancing our tax code a little bit more here in mm-hmm. Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Uh, that might be a good time to take a quick break. Yeah, and for then sure. We'll come back and ask yeah. more questions. All right. This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 sister podcast, We Art Tacoma. Channel 253 is sponsored by our friends at Tacoma Arts Live. Tacoma Arts Live energizes our community through live performance. Their mission is right there in the name. There's nothing like sitting in a crowded theater, elbow to elbow, as the lights go down and you feel that sense of anticipation of what's to come. Depending on the night, the experience at Tacoma Arts Live might engage us intellectually, touch us emotionally, or keep us laughing all night long. But no matter our reaction, At the core of that experience, we are flexing our most valuable muscle, our empathy, a crucial building block to the civic life of our community. Last year, more than 250,000 people attended an event in the Tacoma Arts Live venues. That's a lot of people. It's a sign of how vital Tacoma Arts Live is 
and how their diversity of programs mirror our community and how much we value that kind of experience. Connect with your community by visiting TacomaArtsLive.org to find an upcoming show that is right for you. Energize your passion and play your part. My thanks to Tacoma Arts Live for their support of Channel 253. IWL fans, you need to read Carol Anderson's White Rage for our next BLS Basic Book Club. You need to read it by mid-July or you're going to fail my class. <laughs> it's due mid-July. We don't know the exact date yet, so don't don't at me. But it's going to be really good and you need to read it. Okay? Mid-July. And that with that, we're back. So, Allison, um, you ended, we ended before our break with really just kind of heavy but also thoughtful, interesting things. Um, there's a lot of directions we could go. Are there, do you want to kind of build off of something you said earlier? Or Annie, do you have a specific? I have another really weird question. Okay. If yeah. you, is there anything you wanted to cover that you feel like no. you haven't covered yet? No, oh I mean. This is like a probably, <laughs> just like yeah. just babble at length about taxes all day? <laughs> well, and here's the thing. Probably good to eyes stop light me. up when she's talking about it, which I think is a really good sign <laughs> yeah. for anybody. Like it's the like moment a, their eyes light up, you're like, joy, yes. you know? Yeah. <laughs> Those are the people I want to Job spend my satisfaction. time talking to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a question, and I don't know if this, if you are doing anything with this or not, but huge in the news right now are tariffs. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you know that much about it because you're working on state tax policy. Okay, that's okay. I do you want to talk about tariffs? Well, Annie? I just like just it's come up in my, my classes a lot. Well, it's come up in my classes a lot because my students, my <laughs> students, like I said, love to talk about money, anything to do with money, taxes, how much money people make. They just like think it's interesting, and so I, I don't know what it is about the teenage brain that they just have this kind of fascination and interest in money. But because um, they haven't had to do taxes yet, because yeah. once they start doing them, I think they're they'll not be, gonna want to think yeah, about. They're exactly. not gonna want to think about it. Yeah, and yeah. I, t- I try to tell them like when you're an adult you have a different relationship with their money and they're like but money and I'm like no, no um, it's not like that, y'all. yeah it's no. not like that um, but yes trade your trade your time and your labor for cash and then um, pay a, anyway yeah it's it's a, <laughs> part of a tariff back to tariff late stage capitalism <laughs> um, so t- um, tariffs like the Trump administration has been like going to war with our like some of our allies like Mexico for example um, where we have like NAFTA and like mm-hmm. saying oh Mexico we're going to charge these really high tariffs something's coming from Mexico which is really strange because we haven't historically done that since we've had NAFTA um, and then like with this trade war with China where it's like escalating tariffs with China and just like how the cost of tariffs are being passed on to consu- American consumers and then our tariffs on China are being mm-hmm. passed on to Chinese consumers and so goods are getting more and more and more expensive. And so I'm just thinking about like like a, kind of as a compounding issue with some of these other – our regressive tax structure, there are especially farmers who are being really hurt by the tar- – the, especially the Chinese mm-hmm. tariffs. But I mean are these – are there other compounding issues? Like tariffs is just like one example but are there other issues that are kind of compounding – um, our regressive tax structure. Like, can you think of other things? I mean, you've already mentioned um, race and class privilege, but are there other, I don't know. Um, well, I, I, so I don't know enough about um, how tariffs re- relate specifically to our mm-hmm. tax system. You know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily yeah. oh, the one super in the interesting. office crunching the numbers. Yeah. No, I find them fascinating, Absolutely. especially kind of the narratives yeah. that, uh, our political system is putting out to justify them. Mm-hmm. Um, can you repeat your question? I'm just wondering about, <laughs> like, I think about how tariffs are kind of this international tax, right? And so mm-hmm. are there other kind of factors in, you mentioned, like, excise tax. You mentioned, like, um, I know that, for example, I have student loans. So mm-hmm. I'm going to pay off my 
student loans at some point. But if I pay them off in one big chunk, I have to pay an additional tax on like paying them off. Right. So um, are there other kind of things that are affecting just um, regular everyday people that make this regressive tax system so much worse? Like you mentioned, like um, a pre-existing poverty or like racism Mm -hmm. or like what what else is what Mm -hmm. else is hurting people right now that we need to be aware of or being paid attention to? Um, well, you know, obviously we have this, a system that rewards big corporations Mm -hmm. before anyone else. And, and, you know, those folks are going to try to find any possible loophole or way Mm -hmm. they can to make money off of other people's pain. I think student loans is a fantastic Mm -hmm. example. Um, you know, the way that our healthcare system has been changing is a Mm -hmm. fantastic example. Um, I, as it relates to uh, the tax code, that's when we start getting into the nitty gritty where I have less mm-hmm. um, expertise and confidence. Um, I think Andy Nicholas, if, if uh, I think there's a recording, right, of the yeah. Um, yeah. the adults thing. of Accept. Yeah. 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 So Andy is awesome. fantastic at talking about the cool. more like all yeah. these like tiny little taxes. Like for the most part, I'm able to talk about like sales tax and the yeah. re ta- the real estate excise taxes yeah. and like property taxes. Property taxes is fascinating. Yeah. Oh, tell us about property right. taxes. Oh my. God. Okay. Actually, no. Here's where I can't. Get into something. <laughs> oh. I knew there was something because yeah. yeah. Eyes light up. Eyes light up. The again. fire. Here it. we go. <laughs> okay. Okay. So <laughs> gentrification. Hey. Get it. Um. I and I'm sorry I can't make this more specific to Tacoma. I can talk a we lot about Seattle and redlining. Yeah. 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 Talk about Seattle. I mean, if if there's a history in Seattle, it's probably a very similar history in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, you uh, have different neighborhoods that have these racist housing covenants mm-hmm. written into them that say no person of this descent, basically anyone who's not white mm-hmm. and also frequently folks who are Jewish, are not allowed to live in this neighborhood, mm-hmm. which forced um, communities of color to group together in these very small neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um and that that has a rich and painful history. I mean, there's a lot of beauty that came out of that pain um, when communities were, you know, forced to be together. That also means they were building community centers and raising up community mm-hmm. leaders and being able to um, build small local businesses that uh, their community frequented and like actually build some wealth and build some prosperity yeah. um, within those neighborhoods um, due to that segregation. Uh, and that's where that's how you build community and cultural resistance, mm-hmm. um, which is really, really important. And, uh, you know, in in Seattle, especially, we are seeing um, the gentrification of many, many, many of these neighborhoods. I am part of a group called Parasol, which is mm. the Pacific Rim Solidari- Solidarity Network. Mm-hmm. We are a bunch of kind of lefty Chinese <laughs> folks. Um, but this <laughs> week we're participating with like a nationwide um, week of action around preventing displacement in Chinatowns. Yeah. Um, and, you know, right now we're, we're trying to protect um, the Chinatown International District in Seattle from gentrification and displacement um, because we've already seen, you know, what's happened to the Central District, yeah. what mm-hmm. has happened to yep. Beacon Hill, what's happened to many other neighborhoods mm-hmm, in the city yeah. that were really longtime cultural centers. Mm. Um yeah, and so to get back to property taxes, um, 
a lot of folks in these neighborhoods, when they were more segregated, were able to save up money, buy their homes, start building those assets right. um, that really do make the difference for like long term, gener- not necessarily wealth, like getting rich, but just like being able to, wealth, right? yes, we generational that, wealth, yeah. being able to like pass that down yeah. to your family to build up some assets yeah. more than just your income. Yeah. Um, and that is really how you enter the middle class. That is right. how you are able to really have that upward trajectory that. I guess encapsulates the American dream. Although, yeah, there you go. I'm skeptical of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I turned to your point about like words starting at the beginning of the podcast, where mm-hmm. you think about the difference, and just think about my own like trajectory of understanding the difference between wealth and like having money, right? Yeah. And it's like how do you pass that on? Having yeah. a conversation about like what does that actually mean, which is why wealth redistribution is actually, I don't know, it's an, an interesting idea in thinking mm-hmm. about how do we make our society um, more equitable for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually I'm really intrigued by Parasol. How long has mm. that been going on? How long have you guys been organized? Um, well, I'm a somewhat new member of Parasol. Mm-hmm. Parasol has been around for the last four or so years. Cool. Um, it It's a bunch of, uh, like I said, kind of like leftist Chinese folks. Um, I, I like I said I'm I'm a newer member so I I know less about like the history of the origins of it but some folks came together they were friends they started kind of like reading groups um, really trying to build solidarity between Chinese diaspora yeah. and um, Chinese workers in in China in Taiwan etc um, and trying to figure out like how we can organize together and learn from each other yeah, so we can cool. support the full diaspora um, I wanted to get more involved with Parasol and other. <laughs> leftist Chinese um, espe- especially after like all the conversations around I-1000 mm-hmm. the um, affirmative action that was just I don't know what the right word is um, it had been repealed in the 90s mm-hmm. here in Washington and then we were able to actually put affirmative action back in place here in Washington state but um, one of the loudest voices opposing affirmative action was a group of I like to call them the business Chinese, mm-hmm. um, but more conservative Chinese Americans who mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> who feel that they don't benefit or that they're mm-hmm. negatively impacted mm-hmm. by affirmative action, which mm-hmm. is a big fat load of BS. And they tried to say, you know, Asians are against this. We're people of color and we're against this. And it's like we Chinese Americans and many other East Asians, so that being Koreans and Japanese, have um, – Benefit is a very complicated term. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are recipients of um, this model minority myth Mm -hmm. um, that we are the good minority. Mm -hmm. We're quiet. We're hardworking. Mm -hmm. We're studious, whatever. And so, hey, all you other people of color, why can't you be like them? Um, The truth is, is, and I can only really speak for Chinese Americans because that's my community, is we have sold out our people. We have sold out um, especially like lower income Chinese Americans to chase that dream and say that if we assimilate hard enough, Mm. if we – kind of bow down to whiteness, you know, as much as we possibly can, we'll be able to capture just as much wealth, we'll be able to be just as successful, forgetting that um, at the end of the day, we are still people of color in this country, and uh, our liberation is tied up Mm. with the liberation Mm. of all other people of color, forgetting that um, the Chinese American... Well, there is not one Chinese American experience because mm. when you immigrated to this country and how you immigrated to this country is really complicated. Yeah. Um, 
but forgetting that there, you know, other Asian Americans, especially browner Asian Americans. Mm. Here I'm talking about um, Southeast Asians, yeah. especially, um, and uh, some South Asians like don't have that. You know, aren't aren't able to access the same amount of privilege, mm-hmm. um, and aren't able to you know get in with white folks in the same way, mm. um, and it's you know it's a good reminder when I leave Seattle, when I leave the coast, that I can still go to Central Oregon, like we were talking about earlier, and get death glares mm. from folks there. It's like no, I I can try to assimilate. As much as I possibly can, I can perform uh-huh. a whole bunch of yeah. whiteness, yeah. and I'm I'm never going to be accepted mm. that way. I'm never going to have that privilege, and so to mm. try to play that game is one that is underselling the community. It's underselling the culture. It's erasing yeah. a very rich history of resistance that Chinese Americans have had in the past. Mm. Um, and it is absolutely underselling um, or not just underselling, but like deeply hurting mm. um, other mm. people of color mm. to, to buy into that myth and that stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I just I felt the need in, in response to seeing the Chinese Americans come out against affirmative action to um, find other Chinese Americans uh, lift up the narrative that like this is not. This is not who we are. We, yeah. we rebuke yeah. this. Um, absolutely. Uh, there are Chinese Americans, especially folks who've been living here for several generations and even folks who've immigrated more recently who really are very low income, who mm. still have to fight with you know systemic poverty and these systems of inequality um, to even get the tiniest bit of a hold on get, surviving in this country. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, we see our neighborhoods, our cultural centers being chipped away and whitewashed mm-hmm. to be palatable to um, tourists and to, you know, the, the uh, city commerce. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, just folks who yeah. want to build big business in those yeah. neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, I think the property – I never really finished the property tax thing, but, like – you know, you think about these communities that have been segregated where people have been able to start actually building wealth and building assets and building that community-based power that they need mm-hmm. by owning their own homes. And then we have this incredibly regressive property tax that treats um, – you, know, you know, we do have high property taxes. Um, I think a property tax is an essential part of a tax code, but we do need to make our property taxes much more progressive. Mm-hmm. So folks with lower incomes, folks with like uh, lower, I don't know, dollar property values aren't, you know, being asked to pay that same extraordinary rate right. as, as like billionaires. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we do have exemptions for people who've owned, you know, maybe bought their home when it was in a low-income neighborhood, mm-hmm. when it was in a neighborhood that was mostly people of color, and then seeing that neighborhood gentrified, and then all of a sudden property taxes are skyrocketing, yeah. and white folks and other wealthier folks are moving into that neighborhood, and you know you can't you can't afford this home that was your dream yeah. that you've lived in yeah. for many many years. Yeah. So we see a bunch of like seniors, um, elders, older folks in communities who, you know, are they're on they're on retirement and they can't they have mm-hmm. these extraordinary property taxes that are forcing them out of their homes mm-hmm. and forcing them out of you know the communities that they built and some yes, people who exactly. own their homes yes. yeah. So yeah, the exactly. thing that yeah. it's completely unaffordable they don't have a mortgage mm-hmm. right but the thing that's that's driving them into the ground is property taxes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so it's not saying that we shouldn't have property taxes but just that we really need to rethink our property tax system so yeah. um, we are not actively uh, 
you know, destroying these communities yeah. mm-hmm. left and right, especially old folks who've, who've mm-hmm. built the communities. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. I know that for, for us, it's um, in, a, in a different way, it's really important to educators because property taxes fund schools. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about property tax in terms of like equity, educational mm-hmm. equity, mm-hmm. that's a, a piece like for us, it's like yeah. that kind of comes at it from a different angle, but like mm-hmm. thinking about it in terms of our poorest communities also have the least funded schools. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's for us, that's kind of a, yeah, it's another piece of the puzzle that if you, if you repair kind of our property tax system, you're also providing better educational mm-hmm. opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I brought that up. Absolutely. Uh, this might be a good place to uh, go to a new segment that we're trying. It's yes. a little less serious. Although, I don't know, it's a mix. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like, uh, and I feel like I could talk to you for like yeah. hours more. So of course, maybe yeah. in the future uh, you we just can come make back happen. If you want. Um, yeah. Part two. Part two. <laughs> um, so this segment is called Champagne and Real Pain. And shout out to Fred Gibbs for recording us um, the, one of my favorite sayings ever. Champagne for my real friends. Real pain for my champ friends. So in this segment, we are going to raise a glass, give some champagne, drink some champagne, cheers, toast. Uh, Somebody who's doing amazing, awesome, transformative work or just deserves a little bit of um, champagne. So, uh, Annie, you want to start us off? Who would you give champagne to today? I would give, first of all, Ava DuVernay for her new Netflix creation, When They See Us. Written, written, directed, um, produced. She did everything. She's the queen of everything. Um, she is a national treasure. Um, the fact that we don't didn't have a real that there have been documentaries about the Central Park Five, but we haven't had a mm-hmm. a um, what I would consider like a, a accurate sort of like nonfiction dramatization of what happened to the to those boys. And like, let's be real, they were they yeah. were boys. They were kids, right? Yep. Um, yeah, like shout out Champagne for Ava DuVernay and for all of the amazing like social justice work she does and for being like amazing on Twitter and like just I just love her. I just everything about her. Perfect. Thanks. Allison, uh, who would you like to give some champagne to today? Oh, God, there's so many people. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's a good thing. One or two is good. We can drink a lot of champagne. We got some time Ooh, okay. Um Okay, I Roxanne Gay. Oh my gosh. Is Truly the gift that none of us deserve. Mm-hmm. I have drawn like so much inspiration uh, from the way that she responds to her Twitter oh, trolls. Yes. You see the one about her PhD? That was, yes, just, that was that amazing. Was so good. That was so she good. Was, somebody gave her like an on like a couple honorary PhDs yeah. and and she was like, Well, now I guess I'm a triple doctor. And <laughs> some some jerk just jerk yeah. replied to her and said, Honorary doctors don't actually make you a doctor or something like that. Yeah. She's like, oh no, no worries. I got my PhD, like my real, ha- actual, my PhD. real actual PhD. Like I, I am a doctor. It's like don't sweat it or whatever. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, but she is for me like really redefining the type of voice mm-hmm. that a woman, that a queer woman, can have um, in the public and. Mm-hmm. Being assertive about mm. your accomplishments, yep. not playing them down, uh, being really upfront about <laughs> about yeah. deep injustice, and also like just having a great time. Like she, I love her tweets about coffee tables. Mm-hmm. Like she's just looking for a coffee table, and like she's a yeah. regular she's person. A regular it's person. a coffee table. Yeah, um, so yeah. Awesome. No, it's truly wonderful. Um, and then someone else that I've been learning a lot from this is also Twitter <laughs> um, is uh, this guy named EJ Ramos, I believe, who um, 
is an academic. He's uh, Filipino um, and has just been doing a ton of fantastic research and advocacy work, um, speaking out for Filipino people, Filipinx people, mm. and then uh, also just like reminding us that this um, model minority myth is very mm. much uh, erasing brown mm-hmm. Asians mm-hmm. Um, and erasing a lot of like you know, refugee and um, more recent immigrant Asian communities mm-hmm. here. And I've, I've learned so much from him. Um, I think it, it's been clear earlier, like, I'm really trying to think about and own my privilege as, as like, a very light-skinned East Asian person. Um, and there's so much that I've learned from him. I really hope that his platform continues to grow because um, that is just not a narrative that we see at all kind of in the more mm-hmm. obvious, mm-hmm. like, media sphere. Yeah. Cool. Cheers. Awesome. <laughs> Time for some real pain. Who deserves right. some Real pain. Mm, sorry, I'm stretching. <laughs> Megan McCain. Um, she was very hypocritical. She accused Amy Klobuchar, uh, Klobuchar sorry, of exploiting her father, John McCain's legacy for political gain. And I think that's really interesting because that's literally <laughs> her day job. That's literally Megan's day job yes. is to, poli- to politicize and exploit her father's legacy for her own gain. So accusing other people of doing it is very much like pot kettle kind of, mm. you know. Thanks, business. Megan. Have some pain there today. Uh, how about you, Allison? Who would you give some real pain to today? Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> so many I people. I'm in trouble sure. for this. I hope I don't get in no, trouble don't for this. No, today. we won't uh, tell anybody. <laughs> former Senator Guy Palumbo, oh. who mm. resigned last week, <laughs> ostensibly a Democrat. Okay, buddy, said he was resigning to get back to family and small business. Is now a corporate lobbyist wah, for wah. Amazon. Wah. The smallest business around. Thanks, dude. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he has not been our biggest friend on um, getting progressive tax policy passed. Uh, not a big fan. Um, and, you know, here we go. Of course, he is mm-hmm. living up to his reputation. Thanks, bro. Real pain. Ooh. Real pain for you. <laughs> All right, final segment. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. All right, uh, today's homework. I'm sure we all three have plenty of recommendations yeah. for homework. Do you want to start us off, Allison? What do you recommend people do, Ooh. listen to, read? Okay. Um, 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 I have been reading. I haven't finished it yet, but I've been reading We Gonna Be All Right so by good. Jeff Chang. Notes on race and resegregation. Um, I think he is fascinating. Uh, just... You know, shout out to Asians like doing the good work and yeah. unpacking stupid he's narratives. Amazing. Um, yeah, he's amazing. I've just started this book. It's a, it's a short, um, it's a shorter read. It's just a book of essays, but it is sort of about how um, our country has been resegregating mm-hmm. over time through these not invisible, but through more nefarious um, means and policy changes. Um, basically, like underfunding the types of, of mm. uh, resources and programs that communities of color need, and and pushing um, folks to the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fantastic. I uh, I think if you want to learn more about tax policy, ooh, oh no, I forget his name. Um, mm, is there any way that I can? Go grab my phone yeah, yeah. and pull up this Twitter. We can also um, plug I'm them sorry. in. If you want to reference it really fast, we can also plug it into the show notes too. Okay. Do you remember? I Well, I don't remember his Twitter oh, okay. handle, but um, it's we'll a sure – yeah, I don't remember his Twitter handle, so I'd want to go get it. But okay. um, there is a scholar. He is Latino who's been doing a lot of really interesting work in like changing narratives around tax policy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think he's a cool. lawyer. Um, and he's a fantastic follow if you want to learn more about kind of – 
very progressive tax policy cool. and like the history behind a lot of. We can get his Twitter we'll handle. We'll make sure you get yeah. show notes. Sure. No, it's no okay. Problem. I mean, if you're on, it's well, if you're on Twitter, like there's a bajillion people and they all have unique yes, handles, and you're like, let's see if I can remember, right? Like, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a real modern problem. And you want to give your homework? Yeah. So I I have a couple things. I don't know. Can people don't donate directly to Fuse Washington? Is do you guys accept yeah, donations? They okay. Can. Hey, you should do that because they're they sound amazing. I mean, folks should donate to All In for Washington and All yes, In for all Washington. Washington. Yep. Yes, like both, please. Um, just like take the money you would spend on coffee for a couple months and, and give it to <laughs> yes, them because they will. need yeah. they need your money because yes, they're doing amazing stuff. Also, um, pressure legislators to fix our broken tax system directly. Um, you can go on ledge.wa.gov to find their contact information and turn up the heat because they need to hear from people who are affected by um, backwards tax policy. They need to hear from their constituents. And if you live, if you're calling and you live in their district, they're more likely to respond. And you should just do that just on a semi-regular basis anyway. Yes, please. And I'm going to recommend something that's not related to either of these things, but it's something I'm currently in, um, enjoying. Um, there is a ton. I, so Netflix has really expanded, like, um, their different points of views and the types of shows that they have on there. And so um, a friend of mine, a Filipino friend of mine, we keep sending each other, like, Filipino recommendations. And I just recently watched The Breakup Playlist, which is so cute. It is a musical romantic drama film from 2015. Oh and it's really long because that's how Filipino dramas are. Are, and it's fantastic. So it's in Tagalog, but there's a lot of English uh, interspersed and then subtitles. Um, but the actors and actresses, like, they perform, they sing. There's, like, all the drama, all the emotion. It just, like, pulls you in and it follows their love and their romance and a band together. And you're, like, rooting for different characters. And it's really, really it good. Sounds it's really amazing. It sounds amazing. It sounds really <laughs> epic. It's great. <laughs> I know what I'm watching this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so thank you for coming on the thank show. Thank you so we much. We really, really appreciate yeah, it yeah. and taking the time to come down from Seattle. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Listen to our other podcasts. Move to Tacoma. Nerd Farmer. Citizen Tacoma. Crossing Division. Flounder's B-Team. We Art Tacoma. And Taco Man. Uh, yeah, we're definitely. I love myself and hate police. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I've had some mixed responses to it. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.